morning. See you guys on this lovely um, day in San Diego. How many lovely days do we have in San Diego? Like lots, right? 265, maybe 365 lovely days, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but yeah, so um, turn to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. And as you're turning there, if you're new here, welcome to our Sunday gatherings. We're a church called Kingsworth Church. And we are located in this area um, on the border of Pacific Beach and La Jolla. We're like two and a half years old now as a church. And um, we are passionate about making Jesus known. And so kind of our, um, you know, our vision and what we seek to do is to be a church family on mission with Jesus. Meaning, yeah, we want to function like a family because the church is supposed to be a family of believers um, who don't just gather once in a while, but live life together as a family. And we want to not just be introverted and keep ourselves to ourselves. No, we want to be a church on mission with Jesus. That is really important because we're not here doing this whole, um, um, you know, mission thing on our own, right? We're doing it with Jesus. And what that means is that Jesus is the one that invited us into his mission. So before you guys got here, before we got here as a church, Jesus was absolutely on mission in this church through his people, and he invited us to him. So we're joining in with what he's doing. And it's interesting I'm talking a lot about mission because we've been studying the book of Acts since the beginning of the year, and we are at the part or at the section of Acts where it's talking a lot about mission. Um, and what it looks like to um, to con to continue to have um, an obsession for the fame of Jesus, um, and what I mean by that is, if you want, if you're obsessed about making someone famous, <laughs> um, what that means is everywhere you go, you want to talk about him, and so that is kind of what we are in at the moment. And so this week we're going to be in chapter 14. And we are going to be looking at verses 8 through to 18, all right? Originally, um, I was going to do to 23, but there's so much content. Um, I just thought we'll stop at verse 18 this week. And verse 18 is about Paul and Barnabas um, who are in Lystra. And so I'm going to read Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 14 verses 18, 8 to 18 and try and do your best to follow along as I read. Alright, guys ready to get it? Get it, let's do it. Alright, <laughs> now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, Lyconian, that gods have come together to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, 
whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with good, with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much um, again for this Sunday. And as we are reminded of what it looks like to be on mission with you in this city, may you stir, will you keep stirring in our hearts a passion for your name so that everyone everywhere may know love and serve your precious son jesus christ amen amen all right when i was young growing up in england um i'm at school i went to a middle school cute middle school what i remember of it is our school uniform it's kind of cool it's so cute um and i also remember other things one of my least favorite class was pe physical um, exercise physical education um, but kind of my least favorite class and I know you'd be surprised by this was religious education <laughs> back then I had no intention of becoming a pastor did not like RE at all it was like RE oh my gosh no not this class but um, I tried to find something in the class that you know I enjoyed and one of the things I enjoyed was our, um, our, our day trips and our day trips involved us visiting um, different places of worship. And one of the places of worship we visited that I'll never forget was the Hindu temple. All right, we went to the Hindu temple and I remember walking in being absolutely gobsmacked, just like mind boggled by everything I was seeing. There was a bunch of statues everywhere. Some of the statues were gold, some were bronze, some were silver. Some of the statues were elephants with human hands, monkeys, it was just crazy. And there were lots of color everywhere. And one of the other things that blew my mind was the way in which the Hindus interacted with these statues right they would literally get a cup or a bowl of milk and start pouring it <laughs> on these statues they would also bring food and fruit and put it towards before these statues these idols and what they were doing of course were offering sacrifices um, to their idols and i'm sure most of you here have had similar experiences, maybe not in um, middle school where you visited a Hindu temple, but in your lifetime, you've probably visited a place of worship where there were idols, okay, statues. The dictionary app in my MacBook Air defines an idol as an image or representation of a god used as an object of worship, all right? That's my Mac 
dictionary's definition of an idol. What about you? What comes to mind when you hear the word idol? Maybe you think of a statue in a Hindu temple or Buddhist temple. Or you think about the movie star or the athlete or musician who is greatly revered and admired. Idols are all of these things, but more. And the truth is, even without statues and altars lining our streets, our city, right, San Diego, is saturated with idols and people that worship those idols. Another solid definition of an idol I've heard is that an idol is any good thing that becomes a God thing. Basically, idols are not just statues in temples that are made out of bronze, but an idol can also be anything or anyone we put before God. Tim Keller, who is absolutely brilliant in his book, Counterfeit Gods. If you don't have a copy of Counterfeit Gods, like make note of it now, all right? Make note of it now and go and read it. Great book. And in his book, he has this incredible definition of what an idol is. And he says, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, and anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. Put simply, idols can be anything, anything we put above God. And so with this definition in mind, what, what this basically means is that a spouse or a child or someone we really love can become an idol. Entertainment, security, approval, your job, your career, wealth, health, food, intellect, warm, sunny weather. All of these things and more can become idols if we put them above God or we seek to find joy and happiness and self-worth in them. Also, if we're talking about idols and anything and anyone could be an idol, I think we should look in the mirror, <laughs> right? Because we can make ourselves into idols when we act like the world revolves around us and when we think life is about us rather than God himself. And so let's just be honest. I think idolatry has been and continues to be a pandemic. But idolatry is not just a problem in our culture. But idolatry, I think, is still an issue for Christians as well. 
In fact, if you're here and you consider yourself a Christian, all right, you're not free from idols. You're not like, yeah, you know, I got saved by the grace of God through Jesus. I'm now a Christian, so I am not susceptible to... No, 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 you can't say that. You're still susceptible to idols, and idols, if you're a Christian, are a major threat to your relationship with God. And so this morning from this story about two Christian missionaries and their mission work in an ancient city called Lystra, we'll see two important facts about idols. And I'm going to give them to you now, okay? And then we're going to go through them, all right? The first fact, important fact about idols we'll see is that idols often get the credit God deserves. All right, note it down. Idols often get the credit God deserves. Number two, the second thing we'll fact about idols is that we can find freedom from idols by turning to the true and living God. We can find freedom from idols by turning to the true and living God. First, let's look at how idols get the credit God deserves, okay? Four weeks ago, um, we started looking at Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. If you don't know who Paul and Barnabas is, go and read Acts. I would tell you, but I don't have the time to give a biography. Sorry if that sounded rude. Was that rude? Did that sound rude? No? Thank you for affirming me. I'm so insecure. Anyway. <laughs> So Paul and Barnabas, their mission started in the beautiful island of Cyprus. Yay for Cyprus. Then they went north to Antioch. Last week we looked at their time in a city called Iconium. And in Iconium, they got off to an amazing start, but things didn't end well there. Um, they, end, they ended up having to flee the city because of persecution. And after fleeing persecution in Iconium, Paul and Barnabas end up in Lystra. Lystra was located 20 miles southwest of Iconium. And as soon as they arrive in Lystra, they start doing the very same thing that nearly got them killed not too long ago in Iconium. What was it? Yes, they started preaching. Don't be shy. You can speak back to me. All right. They started preaching the gospel. Last week, we also saw how their decision to carry on preaching the gospel, even under intense persecution, was because of their obsession with the fame of Jesus. And this is the same passion that has led them to Lystra. And it's the same passion driving their decision to tell people about God's love and salvation. And so they're in Lystra. And what they're doing is that day by day, they're just preaching the gospel. Okay. And the longer the days go, the larger the crowds get. And so one day among the captivated crowd was a man who had a severe disability. Look at verse 8 again. It says, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. And so we don't know this man's name, but what we obviously know about him is, the, uh, is his physical condition. All right, He's a cripple who's never walked a day in his life. 
but despite his disability, we know that he manages somehow to make his way through the crowds, okay, and manages to sit at a place. We don't know where he sat, but we know that in sitting there, he was able to hear Paul preach. And you've got to remember, back then, they didn't have microphone and speakers, okay? And so if someone's speaking, um, I think the only way to hear them is if you position yourself um, at a good spot. And so I'm sure he's kind of made his way through the crowd, sits down, he's able to hear Paul, and he's able to hear everything he's saying. Look at verse 9. And so he listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him, saw that he had faith to be made well. Stop there. Did you guys read that? Okay, so just what's happening. As the crippled man remained fully engaged in what Paul is teaching, Paul looks at him, squaring the eyes, and what Paul sees, no one else can see. Paul sees that he had faith to be made well. Put simply, Paul discerns that this man, this crippled man, believes that he can be healed. Recognizing the faith he has to be miraculously healed, Paul then says to him, look at verse 10, stand upright on your feet. And what happens next? Keep reading. And it says, this man sprang up and began walking. Just like that, he's healed, he's walking again. He's now able to do what he's never been able to do since birth. He's on his feet and he's actually walking. Let me just remind you that what we're reading, okay, and what we're studying, this book of Acts is a historical um, biography report of the mission, okay? It's a true report, documented. There are absolutely um, lots of fact things that affirm the legitimacy of what we're reading. And what we're reading here is that there was this man who's never walked in his life. He has an encounter with Paul and God through Paul is able to heal him. Oh man, there is so much to cover in this. <laughs> I wish we had time to explore the whole topic of healing and how God heals and when God heals and does God still heal like this in our day and age? How comes, you know, I'd love to explore it, but we don't have the time. We've got to keep going, all right? And so as soon as the crowds see him walking again, you can imagine crowds you know, I could, in, in Lystra, they go bananas, all right? So stunned by this miraculous phenomenon, you can imagine they don't know what to make of it. They don't know how to explain it. And so the best they can do is to interpret everything they're witnessing through the lens of their Greek religious beliefs. Look at how they do that in verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. So 
bit of history about the ancient city of Lystra. Lystra was a city um, obsessed with Greek gods. Okay, if we were to get into a time machine and go all the way back to the first century, to these ancient times, and we walk through the streets of Lystra, we will see the streets lined up with gods, statues of God. And so, after witnessing Paul and Barnabas perform a miracle, crazy, amazing, incredible miracle, they start saying out loud in their native language, native language, let's read that, native language, that gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And so in other words, what they're saying is this, based on everything we've seen them do, there's no way Paul and Barnabas are mere humans. They must be gods. Also, as far as they're concerned, Paul and Barnabas are not just random unknown gods. They are now convinced they are two of their most revered gods that have come to them as human beings. And so they start calling them these gods. They start referring and naming them as these gods. Look at verse 12. Barnabas, they called Zeus. And the reason why they called Barnabas Zeus was Barnabas was like the leader, um, kind of this you know he probably had a beard and just wise and kind of one of those so they were like yeah he's Zeus he must be Zeus and then Paul they called Hermaeus because he was the chief speaker and it makes sense because as we've seen so far Paul is the one who's doing a lot of the speaking and talking and so this Greek god Hermaeus was known as the messenger of the gods he was the leader in speaking and so they've looked at these two and say, oh my gosh, they are these two gods in human flesh. What's interesting right here is that at this point, Paul and Barnabas didn't understand what they were saying at all, right? Because remember verse 11 said they were speaking and saying all of these things in their native language. And you've been there before, all right? <laughs> Where you're amongst a group of people that speak a totally different language to you, all right? And they're just talking, they're just vibing, and you're just there going, what are they saying, okay? Are they saying something bad about me or not? What are they saying? And this is kind of what's going on. These, these people from Lystra are calling um, Paul and Barnabas gods, but Paul and Barnabas haven't really figured out what's going on, but what happens next helps them understand what's actually going on. Look at verse 13. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the sea, he brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. The famous first century Roman poet Ovid tells a story about how Zeus and Hermaeus had once come to Lystra disguised as mortal seeking lodging. But while in the city, no one recognized these gods. Okay? They were, no one recognized them, only some old and elderly couple who invited them to their home and then started um, serving them and showing hospitality 
humidity, and then I'm gonna be louder than this thing. <laughs> invites them into their home and um, serves them and then after these gods bless them and then their home turns into and so there's this whole legend okay about Zeus and Hermaeus coming to Lystra and so because most of the people are familiar with this local legend they don't want to make the same mistake again they are convinced Paul and Barnabas are these gods in flesh. And so what do they do? They call the local priest. And they say, come here. These are gods and we want you to start offering sacrifices to them. The citizens of Lystra assumed Paul and Barnabas were gods in human flesh because of the miracle they performed and because of this they wanted to worship them and in doing so they gave their gods credit for the miracle God had done their idols their false gods received the credit God deserves and the same thing continues to happen to this day that many idols we worship often get the credit God deserves we're somehow influenced by them to worship them and give them the glory for the things God has done so for example the Big Bang Theory often gets the credit God deserves when it claims that the universe as we know it was created in a massive explosion that not only created the majority of matter but the physical laws that govern our ever-expanding cosmos okay the big bang theory often gets the credit God deserves for creation Many worship the God of Mother Nature and wholeheartedly believes that she is the one that created and sustains Earth. But Scripture clearly reveals that God created and is the one who sustains the universe. The idol of hard work. You've seen it. Don't quit. Work hard and you will achieve your dreams and you will be successful. This idol will make us believe that our achievements and successes are ultimately, ultimately the result of our hard work. Many look to the false god of a promotion for their self-esteem. Um, recently, uh, my family and I have been looking for a bigger home. We've suddenly after we got back from England, have outgrown um, our home, we really have. And as we look, it's easy for me to start believing that um, a bigger house is what will bring me true and lasting happiness. Working hard, planning and saving for a home are all good and necessary, they are. But when they become the source of our success, security, and joy, 
they take God's place. Another example, what about the false god of religion? False god of religion will make us look to our good deeds, our charitable works, as the reason God accepts us. But the reason God accepts us is not because of our good works, it's not because of anything we've done. The reason why God accepts us is because of his work in providing forgiveness of sins and eternal life through Jesus Christ. The idols and false gods, our culture, that are in our personal lives, always will aim to get credit for what God deserves. In other words, they exist to steal God's glory. Idols will influence you and me and everyone to commit what one author calls spiritual plagiarism. And they go on to rightly you know, explain what that is. They say spiritual plagiarism isn't confined to the English classroom or the inventor's office. It threatens our spiritual life. Spiritual plagiarism, taking the glory that belongs to God and giving it to something or someone else, is described again by Tim Keller as the essence of sin. He says this, think about plagiarism for a moment. Why is plagiarism taken so seriously? It is claiming that you, you came up with an idea yourself when you did not. It is not acknowledging dependence that you got the idea from someone else. Plagiarism is a refusal to give thanks and give credit and is therefore a form of theft. So my encouragement to you this morning is look out. The idols we worship will aim to take credit for the things God has done. So the million dollar question is, what are some of the things God has done in your life that you have prayed someone or something else for? How do you struggle with um, stealing God's glory? How have you learned to give it back to him? God is good. He gives us so many good gifts. And I think it's about time we identify and recognize the many things he does and give credit to him because he deserves it and so we've seen that false gods often get a credit for the things God has done now we'll look at how we can okay find freedom from idols by turning to the true and living God and so so far in this story right according to the citizens of this ancient city called Lystra Paul and Barnabas are gods and so with a pagan priest standing right in front of them about to sacrifice bulls to them a large crowd of people about to participate in this religious ritual our question is how do paul and barnabas respond to all of this what do they do look at verse 14 but when the apostles barnabas and paul heard of it they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd stop right there what's happening here all right so a lot has happened this year a lot 2020 crazy all right but 
I would say some good things that happened as well. And I think one of the highlights for me was the peaceful protests that erupted following the killing of George Floyd. What happened was millions of people participated in these protests in the United States and around the world and the peaceful protests were much needed demonstrations against incidents of police brutality and all racially motivated violence against black people and so in our culture if we're disgusted by something and want to see change what do we do we protest protests are one of the ways we express grief disapproval and a strong objection to something. Now, in Jewish culture, the tearing of one's clothes was one of the ways they would protest. And so by tearing their clothing, Paul and Barnabas were in a way protesting and expressing grief, disapproval and a strong objection at the people's desire to worship them as gods. But they don't only allow their actions to do the talking, they go a step further and use this misunderstanding as an occasion to preach Christ even more um, clearly. And so, um, as soon as they figure out what's going on, they rush into the crowd, okay, tearing their clothes, and this is what they say. Read this carefully, it's fascinating. Verse 15, it says, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Stop right there. So this is what they did. They begin their speech by making it clear that, guys, we are not gods. We are humans just like you. Then what they do next is that they begin to plead and urge them to turn from this ancestral forms of worship and turn to the living God. And then in verse 16 to 17, what they do is that they remind them of God's faithfulness in providing rain, fruit and food despite man's unfaithfulness. And so by focusing on who God is, and how he created and sustains everything in the universe, what Paul and Barnabas are doing right here is that they're calling their entire system of worship into question. What they've said in verse 15, 16, and 17 must have been highly offensive and controversial. In other words, this is what they're saying to the crowd. It is the living God, the creator of the universe, who grants fertility, not the local fertility gods you guys serve. They're also saying it is the living God, the creator of the universe, who provides the rains and the harvest, not the local weather gods you serve. Paul's message, as I said, must have been highly controversial and offensive. But he was willing to say it, and to speak the truth because of his desire for everyone everywhere to know, love, and live for the one true God of creation. And so, how do we break free from the idols in our life? 
we do so by turning to the God, to the one true God of creation. Let me just break that down for you. So as Paul and Barnabas were on mission in Lystra, as we've seen, they discovered that, wow, idolatry is so rampant in this city. Likewise, as we continue to be a church family on mission in San Diego, this is what will happen. If it's not already happening, it, probably, it should have. We will encounter many idols, false gods, in our city, and also discover many idols in our own life as well. Most likely, we've already noticed some of them. Okay? We've already noticed some of them. So I have been, and some of you guys who know me will be very surprised about this. Okay, I'm not an outdoorsy guy. Okay, the outdoors freaks me out. Nature, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. Oh my gosh, there's a bee, there's a butterfly. Oh. Right, not an outdoorsy guy, but recently I'm becoming more of an outdoorsy guy and my wife would attest to that. So I've been spending a lot of time at Kate Sessions Park. Right, and it's a lovely park. And because I've been spending a lot of time, because that's kind of the limit of my outdoorsy experience, you guys are like, is that a park? We're like hiking mountains. <laughs> All right? So I've been spending a lot of time there. And because I've been spending a lot of time there, I've been noticing uh, kind of the rhythms that go on in this park. And it's a lot of people spend time at the park because of, kind of the restrictions we have because of COVID. And I've noticed that most mornings you will probably have a group of people that are working out and exercising together. Okay, they got group exercises going on most mornings. You'll notice that in the afternoon, if you go in the afternoons, you'll notice that there are parents uh, with their kids at the playground or parents and watching their kids take part in some sort of sporting activity. If you go in the evenings, oh my gosh, case sessions is buzzing. You go in the evenings and you go up to that hill, slow piece section, there are tons of people sitting, trying to remain six feet apart, okay? And they are sitting, getting ready to view this amazing sunset in Kate Sessions. And kind of that's what goes on. Morning, afternoon, evening. If we think about that, and we think about what we've been talking about when it comes to idolatry, right? And idols. I think we could argue that the majority of the people that are participating in those three different activities are involved in some sort of idol worship. All right? People doing exercises, okay? It's great to do exercises. It's good to be healthy. It's good to look after your body. But if you are relying on that, 
to, to, to um, be the thing that protects you um, from, you know, from health issues, the only thing that protects you from health issues, what you're doing is relying on something other than God to keep you healthy. Does that make sense? So, for example, parents that are with their kids, I've got three kids and I love them to bits, but if I am seeking to always um, find my worth and self-esteem in their successes, what I am doing is worshiping those kids, okay? And putting them in the place where only God deserves, okay? For example, the people that are sitting and viewing this amazing sunset. Sunsets are amazing and San Diego's awesome. There's so much natural beauty, but we could argue that the majority of the people there are there observing creation and that is it. They are not recognizing that the beautiful sunset they're seeing is a gift from God who is the creator. And so it's not what we do, it's why we do it that helps us know whether we're idolizing them or not. And so in our city most likely we'll notice that the false god of wealth health entertainment is an epidemic we'll notice that people idolize creation more than god the creator will notice that people are obsessed with the false god of success and these are all false gods because they offer us false hope we seek in them only what God can give us. And so as we encounter these idols in our city and discover them in our own lives, like Paul and Barnabas, we should be deeply troubled. Then we should be willing to confront these idols by helping um, people see how worthless they are and how they can find freedom only by turning to the true and living God. Because without the redemption, redemptive work of God in our lives, we are doomed to create and worship one destructive idol after another. But we can find freedom by turning to the one true God, who's not only the God of creation, listen to me, he's also the God of salvation, who sent his son Jesus Christ to live a sinless life, to die the death we deserve and have victory over death so that we can be offered forgiveness of sins and eternal life and a relationship with God that will remain forever and ever. And so I read this story online about the baptism of new Christians in India. Okay, this was what was happening. The new Christians when it was their turn to be baptized what they would do is that they would come to the pool carrying the, the carved gods and goddesses that had filled their home and then what they would do is that they would line up all the idols on one side of the pool and these new christians would then turn their backs on them 
walk into the pool and get baptized. Afterwards, what would happen is that the idols would be collected by a member of the church and then trashed. This is a beautiful picture to remind us that as we turn our backs on our idols and turn toward God, He will cleanse us and renew us. And so King's Cross Church, idolatry, it's a thing. It's everywhere in our culture, in our city we live in. Idols will seek to get the credit God deserves, but there is hope knowing God has provided a way of freedom from our idols in his beloved son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thanks, God, for the many ways you um, the many ways you speak to us. Father, I so enjoyed Acts which continues to um, not just be a blueprint or how we should function as a church, but Acts continues to just speak to us about things that are a reality to us now in this city. And so God, um, as we've seen how idols seek to get the credit God deserves, but thank you that we are not hopeless but we can have hope knowing that and we can be freed from these idols if we turn to you. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who makes this possible. In Jesus' name, amen.